Take a deep breath. <laughs> uh, we are delving into the book of Revelation this morning, and you know me well enough to know that I have no clue how long we're going to be in this book. It could be for, for weeks. It could be f- probably more like years, and if it comes to be years, we probably won't stay in it all the time, but we may jump out of it every now and then and do some other things and then get back into it. Uh, as we begin this morning, I just want to ask you, what is your impression of the book of Revelation? I'm not going to ask you how many people have read through it or how many times you've read through it. I hope that you have. Uh, and I would imagine that some of you uh, have the idea that it's, uh, it's a very difficult book. Uh, and if you have that idea, you're probably right in some ways. Uh, but at the same time, it is part of the scriptures, part of the word of God that he's given to us. And there certainly is a whole lot that, that is there for you and I to learn a great deal from. I always wondered why John Calvin never wrote a uh, commentary on the book of Revelation. And, and I always figured it was because he just never had the time to get around to it. Uh, some folks say this, and there's really no historical evidence of this that at one time Calvin just simply said that Revelation is a most difficult book and that he steered away from it. Uh, I would imagine this, that, uh, that if you ask the average believer, the average church attender today, uh, what exactly the book of Revelation is about, uh, most of them probably would have very little to say to you, and most of what they would say probably is what they've heard other people say. But there really are a number of different views of the book of Revelation. Uh, there are people, and I would imagine that the average believer in the United States believes this in regard to Revelation, is that it's basically just the unfolding of a number of different things that are going to take place in the end times. That's what's called the futurist view, uh, uh, approach. In other words, there's nothing in it that has actually taken place yet. It's all future. And it's going to unfold immediately and during the time of Christ's second coming. There's also the historical view, which is similar to that. And it, and it says basically that it is the unfolding events, but these events actually started way back in the first century A.D., and they've been unfolding as time has gone by, with certainly much of it left to be fulfilled future from where we are right now. There's the idealist view, which says this, that it is a letter full of visions which characterize the Christian struggles through the entire church age, which would be the time between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. There are, there's the preterist view that, that believes that, that everything in the book of Revelation, for the most part, has already been fulfilled in past events. There's the eclectic view, which basically says that we need to draw from all of those various views the strengths that they have in our understanding of this book. It's not like a lot of the books in the Bible. If you, want to, if you want me to give you the name of a book that's very similar to it, at least in the type of language and the descriptions that it uses, would be the book of Ezekiel. 
in the Old Testament. This is apocalyptic book, uh, which is a special kind of revelation that uses a great number of signs and symbols of various and particular things. This is probably one of the reasons why it's probably the most controversial book in the Bible. Because some people, and let me just say this, there are some of those signs and symbols in the book that we know exactly what they represent because the book itself tells us. On the other hand, there are a good number of them that we don't really know. However, there always have been and and always are people who go beyond speculation. And they begin to say that this is this and that is that. We need to be very careful about the conclusions that we come to in regard to the word of God, the revelation of God, because the whole book is the revelation of God. But we need to be very careful when we get to the, the place where we begin to speculate on things and from those speculations draw conclusions as if they are matter-of-factly, no doubt about it, dead on center. So we're going to be looking at the first three verses today. We're probably not going to get anywhere beyond that because there's a lot to be said about these first three verses. Uh, Well, one of the things I want to challenge us with this morning is the question. The question is, is what is the purpose, what is the overall purpose of the book of Revelation? And even though you may not understand everything that's in it, you can certainly discern from what you read the direction it goes in and the things it emphasizes as being very important aspects of things. Uh, William Hendrickson wrote a commentary a number of years ago called More Than Conquerors. If you've never heard of it, It's probably, as far as I'm concerned, one of the very best commentaries on Revelation you can get. It's very enlightening, and it presents a scheme of things that really makes a lot of sense out of it that you would not get without it. This is what he says in regard to the purpose of the book. He says, the purpose is to comfort the militant church in its struggles against the forces of evil. It is full of help and comfort for struggling Christians. Are you a struggling Christian? And for those who are persecuted. Trials of ordination, the PCA, are pretty, pretty extreme. We went had an examining committee on Friday. I'm going to make a comment about that in just a few minutes. Uh, but people don't understand this. That we, we require a great deal of men who go into the pastorate in our denomination. Uh, Education-wise, experience-wise, this-wise and that-wise. Uh, it's not something that we ever take lightly. But there was a young man a number of years ago. I'm not sure which presbytery it was in, but... Uh, he was undergoing his floor exam because it's not just a, an examination before a committee. There's also a presbytery floor exam where you stand up before all the members of presbytery and they are free to ask you anything and everything. They want to ask you about anything and everything. 
And there's a story that goes around, and I'm not sure if this is true or not. Very well could be, probably is. That there was a candidate for the ministry that was on the floor of presbytery being examined one day. And the very last question someone asked him was this. Is what do you think the purpose of the book of Revelation is? Now you can imagine that probably there was a little bit of terror that kind of descended upon him at that point. And all of that, and he thought for a few minutes... And then he said this, and let me just tell you, if you get this out of the book and nothing else, then maybe you've gotten enough of it, and that is this, is, is, is the purpose of the book of Revelation is to show us, to demonstrate to us that in the end God wins, and so do we. There's conversation about when the book was actually written. There's conversation even about who wrote the book. I don't know if you realize this or not. There were a number of different Johns who were prominent in the early church. But the classic traditional belief is that the Apostle John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, who also wrote the gospel, is the author of, or the human author of, this particular book the question is when did he write it and a lot of that has to do with past historical events because if he wrote it before 70 AD so there's a group who believe that he wrote it sometime in during in the 60s mid 60s AD that fits well within the idea that at least some things in the book of Revelation were fulfilled in the destruction of Jerusalem that took place in 70 AD. There are, on the other hand, a number of Bible scholars who believe that John wrote it very near the end of his life, in the AD 90s. I can't tell you who's right or who's wrong. But I do believe whatever conclusion you come to does have a lot to do with your understanding of particular things in the book. So let's take a look at the first few verses. The revelation of Jesus Christ is also called, it could be called the apocalypse of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his bondservants the things which must shortly take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Well, like I said before, if you've, ever, uh, gone, if you've ever read into the book of Revelation, you know that it is full of all kinds of, sea, of symbols and, and pictures of things and, and this uh, and, and, and that. Uh, one of the things I want us to glean from the very beginning is that this is a revelation of Jesus Christ. And it was given to him from God for a purpose. And that purpose is to reveal these things to his bondservants. 
conveyed to John by an angel, a messenger sent from Jesus. Now, as I said that, some of you may be sitting here this morning saying, how that can that possibly be that God revealed anything to Jesus? Because after all, Jesus is the God-man. Jesus is man, but he's also God. So how can God reveal things to someone who's already God? Well, we need to understand that we always are very careful in talking about the personhood of Jesus, and that is we make a distinction between his human nature and his divine nature. And I just want you to understand something. That is, Jesus is absolutely unique in all of creation. There's never been another being like him. So don't try to compare Jesus to anybody, because there's nobody like Jesus, who is both divine and human at the same time. And we know that as a, as a human being, that he is just as we are, except without sin. That's the only difference between me as a man and Jesus as a man. That means this, that Jesus has a human mind. It means this, that Jesus learned in life just like we do. He didn't come into the world with knowing everything that God knows. And we need to understand that, that his human brain is limited just like ours is. It's not capable of knowing everything that God knows. This is something that's very, he says something very similar to this all the way back in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 24 when he's talking about his second coming. And he knows that people are going to want to know when it is. And this is what he says. Of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor, guess who? The Son. But the Father alone. So first of all, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ which was given to him by the Father. Who gave it to him for a purpose. And the purpose was to reveal these things to his bondservants. Now, you may not think of yourself as a bondservant of Christ, but if you're a believer, you're a bondservant of Christ. He's your master. He's your savior, but he's also your master. You're his bondservant. So we understand that what we're talking about here is, first of all, it was revealed to John, who was... Jesus' bondservant, for the purpose that through John, it would go forth to his bondservants down through the generations, which would include you and I. I want you to notice here that it doesn't say that God uh, <clears throat> gave it to him to tell his bondservants. It says, God gave it to him to show to his bondservant. That makes a lot of sense when you think about all the signs and symbols that are there. They're very visual.
Now, you may not think too much about this, but the fact of the matter is God has spoken to the fathers in many different ways down through the ages. And one of the ways that he's spoken very regularly and very often is through visions. In other words, showing people things. Not just telling them, but showing them. You think about the book of Daniel. The number of visions there that God gives to Daniel. You think about Ezekiel. Ezekiel's full of visions. Even Paul, when he was, Tro- he was in Troas, how did he know to go into Macedonia? Because God gave him a vision one night of a Macedonian man saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. So speaking to his people through visions is not an unusual thing. God has done it down through the generations, down through the ages. So it, not, it shouldn't surprise you and I that we have this book of Revelation, this apocalypse before us. That's very much like those. One of the things we need to glean from this is that, that John actually saw the things that he describes in this book. He saw a vision of Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about that in a week or two. He saw the beast. He saw the Son of God in Revelation 19. Up here. Now, can you imagine having, in a sense, a dream like the book of Revelation? I don't know about you, but I dream a lot. And my, my dreams are very, very detailed. And, uh, and, and, and strangely, just a couple of nights ago, I had a dream that the end of the world came. Maybe it was because I was preparing for tomorrow, for today. I don't know, but I've never had a I've never had a dream like that. Uh, and Lori knows this; she, she knows I dream all the time. Because a lot of times when I dream, I mumble, and sometimes I move around a lot, and you know this and that. And and very often my dreams are nightmares. And the most common nightmare that I have is that there is a demon trying to possess my body. But it is amazing how detailed dreams can be. I mean, when you're going through them, they seem so very real. But dreams are delusions. This is not a delusion. These things are real things that the Apostle John sees. Because Jesus shows them through an angel, to him. He says here, the things that will shortly take place. That troubles some people. And that should not surprise us. In other words, 
It doesn't seem, you know, 2,000 years since this revelation was given, and, and Jesus hasn't come back yet, and we know that there are many things in this book that have not taken place yet, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, people are beginning to wonder if Jesus really is coming because it's been so long. It's been 2,000 whole years. It shouldn't surprise us that there are people that are concerned about that because there were people in the days of John and Peter who had the same thought. They, there were people in the first century A.D. who thought Jesus was already late. And that was almost 2,000 years ago. There have been Christians in every generation who have believed with all of their heart that Jesus' return was imminent, that it was coming right now. Because they look around and, and and they're convinced that they see the signs of the ends of time and the coming of Jesus Christ. How many times have you heard people say that? I've actually had a couple of people in this congregation within, within just the last year say to me, things are really getting bad out there, Keith. It must mean that Jesus is coming pretty soon. Now, you've heard me say this before, that there have been Christians in absolutely every generation who believed with all of their heart and soul and mind and strength that Jesus was coming in their day. But they've all been wrong, every single one of them. Some of you may be looking around and saying the same thing that I just revealed, and that is things here in the United States are really getting pretty bad. They're getting pretty bad in the world in certain places and all of that. Those are the signs of the times Jesus is coming back. And what I'm telling you guys is that just is a fairy tale. Let me just say this. If we don't glean anything else from what Jesus says about all this stuff, we need to take note of two things. One of those things is this. Is he's going to come when we least expect it. How do I know that? Because that's exactly what he says. That he's going to come like a thief in the night. And so what I would say to you is because there's so many people today that are declaring that Jesus' return is imminent and whatever. You and I might look at it and say, you know what? Because so many people think it is, then this is not the time. It's an area, I think, where people read certain things from Scripture that kind of form their view of things. But they don't take the whole of Scripture that speaks about this particular issue to come up with their conclusions about things. Maybe you're one of those people. Maybe out of these generations you'll be right. But more likely you're going to be wrong. It's happened in every generation. Let me tell you something. I wish he would come back right now. I mean, I really do. And we should all have that heart. We should look forward to it with great anticipation and hope. 
because we know that ultimately it will be our ultimate deliverance from sin and its effects and everything else. And we will be completely renewed, unable to sin ever again. Doesn't that appeal to you? Now, Peter, like I said I, before, there were people in his day, so we're talking about 1950 years ago, there were people who were wondering why Jesus hadn't come back yet because he was going to come soon because the time is near. And Peter helps us to understand things. This is how he responds to them. So you need to understand something. You don't keep time the same way that God keeps time. God's timetable is eternity. And what is 2,000 years in eternity? It's nothing. It's a blink of an eye. And he says there, he says that that Jesus is not slow to keep his promises. So don't be discouraged that he didn't come back in 50 A.D. or 100 A.D. or 1,000 A.D. or 2,000 A.D. He will come back when the time suits him. Not you, not me, not anybody before us, not anybody after us. There's another way to look at this entirely. Where would it would have left you and I if he'd come back in 100 A.D.? Seriously. Where would I be if he had come back in, let's say, 1990? Well, I would have been a believer by then. But if it was 1980... I would have been left in the dark. Jesus, my friends, is waiting. He's waiting because he's not limited by time. He's eternal. He sees eternity all at the same time, past, present, and future. We have every reason to believe that we have brothers and sisters that have not yet been born again. Jesus will not come back until every one of them has been born. And you and I wouldn't want anything else. We wouldn't want Jesus to come back today just because you and I are impatient and we're tired of waiting for him. 
He will come back in his time, and he will come back in the perfect time. To bring to full and complete fruition of everything he has predetermined to happen. Everything. In the minutest detail. It will not happen until he does that. In other words, other brothers and sisters of, uh, of ours that have gone forth before of us, they have patiently waited. They patiently waited for you and I to come around. Can't we do the same thing for those coming after us? Skipping over some stuff, and I hate to do that. But blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy. We need to understand that there's a blessing that comes in doing what we're doing. I really believe this, that Christians, for the most part, they avoid revelation like the plague. In this examining committee meeting the other day, I wasn't the one who did the New Testament part of the exam, but I'm waiting to see from the very beginning. I'm waiting to see if Revelation even comes up, and sadly, it doesn't, didn't even come up one time. In other words, what I'm telling you is very often I see pastors avoiding re- Revelation like the plague. And it's partly because people have the expectation of you having all the answers to every question they may have about all this stuff. And the fact of the matter is no one does. And if you come across anyone who thinks that they do, you need to run from them like the plague. This book is to some degree cloaked in mystery. Does that mean that we cannot understand its purpose? Does that mean we cannot understand specifically some of the stuff in it? The answer to that question is no. But it takes some degree of maturity discerning between the two. But what we know and what perhaps we know. What kind of a waiter are you? There are different kinds of waiters. We all have to wait, right? There's no one in this room that doesn't ever have to wait on anybody. We wait. It's part of life. Some people are very impatient waiters. And they can be downright rude. Like when you're sitting in that traffic light and it seems like it takes two hours for it to turn green. And then the people in front of you Don't get out of your way as soon as it turns green. Anybody fit into that category here? Lori's not going to say anything because she doesn't want to incriminate me. There's another kind of waiting, and this would be waiting that maybe you might see a dog waiting for its master to come home. It's kind of a pitiful, sorrowful kind of waiting. 
And then there's a kind of waiting that we need to be aspiring to. That is waiting with anticipation. Of great anticipation. Of the appearance and the coming of Jesus. And the establishment of his eternal kingdom and all of its glory. So you're waiting. The question is, what manner are you waiting in? Are you impatient? Are you sorrowful? Pitiful? Or do you really anticipate the coming of Lord Jesus? Well, that's my introduction. We didn't get any very, very far, but we will move on from here. I want to challenge you guys and gals. Read ahead. Read ahead. If you get to the end before we finish, start reading the whole thing all over again. Because this is one of those books, and I really believe this. I've actually taught through the book of Revelation two times in pretty good detail already. It is doable, and you can learn a lot. Don't steer away from it because it may on the surface seem to be overly difficult. Or maybe it's not your particular style of of the way you like to see things presented. But it is God's revelation to us. He gave it to us. To read it. To study it. To learn from it. To apply it. Not to let it sit in the back of our Bible. Totally unknown to us. There's another thing I want to say to you this morning. That we know definitively that there is a major central character in this book of Revelation. And it's not the dragon. It's not the devil. It's not the beast. It's Jesus Christ. This book is a book about him. And our relationship to him. We've taken communion a number of times lately, and we're going to do it again this morning. Easter kind of got us a little bit out of rhythm and, and all of that. Normally, we serve the Lord's Supper on the second Sunday of every month. And so this is the second Sunday of April. And so we're having 
uh, the Lord's Supper this morning. And uh, so the praise team is going to come and lead us in a hymn of preparation.